Gaming in BS episode 115, Gods and RPGs. Welcome to Gaming in BS, tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And Brett, you're. And I'm Brett, who is, and I'm Brett, who is on mute for two seconds there. <laughs> yes, I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Good God! Like, oh this my God! Where was I going on vacation? Like, where did where'd you go? Fell off the planet. Welcome back to the planet. Yeah, how's it going, Sean? Good. Uh okay. <laughs> Sean's been putting in a new floor or new flooring in the house, and I've been. Uh, Tra- traipsing through the woods, hunting and dragging my father's deer. So I'm tired. Although I'm sure Sean is just as tired. Man, I have to, I have to pop ibuprofen, man. Cause morning, I mean, last, last weekend I did, I got it started and somewhat finished, but anyways, it's, it is no joke. No, especially for those of us with these soft little typist hands. <laughs> we don't, Sensitive. <laughs> yeah, I could change my own oil. I could do all this stuff, but I don't often because um, I normally just don't. So anyway. <laughs> Arg. All right, Sean. I guess we should get into it, man. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into Random Encounter. Yeah. Element of the show where we field emails, voicemails, and comments from social media. Should I do the first one? You should I'll do the first one. You should do the first one. John commented on our website. He says, Hey guys, I recently found you via the boys over at Misdirected Mark and have been enjoying the podcast. Well, thank you, John. Awesome. So here's a topic uh, I'd like to uh, hear you guys talk about law versus chaos. I know um, I know a lot of people may think chaos equals evil and law equals good, but I'd disagree. I largely blame Games Workshop. Fuck you, Games Workshop. That's John, not me. Um, to a lesser extent, <laughs> the works of Moorcock. And if people think law is purely good, like to examine the 20th century laws, a.k.a. pre-suffrage voting laws, segregation laws, etc. In my mind, there's much more nuance, more shades of gray. So how would you approach law and chaos? Thanks for the pod, John. I'll tell you, John, <clears throat> Sean and I have talked about alignment a while back, but I think this one is a different this is a different topic. I kind of like this because even if you take the alignment component out of it and just take it from a fundamental, how does it impact the world? I think it may actually tie in a little bit to the God's topic that Sean and I are going to be getting into in a bit here. So I'm going to table this one and I'm going to add it to our list. I think we might have to grab onto it Sean, and uh, add it into uh, maybe next episode or one after that. Yeah, we can do that. Law versus chaos. Exactly. Chaos. Next one's you, sir. All right. Angela Murray writes, Hey, guys. A couple years ago, I was running Monster of the Week for some inebriated friends. (laughs) It sounds like college gaming to me. That's what that sounds like. Sounds like a good time already. Exactly. Carry on. When I pressed them for a theme for their group, someone suggested they be silver-haired retirees that fought vampires, i.e. 
Maud the Vampire Slayer. I love it. Golden Girls versus Vampires. That type of thing. That's a good mashup. I like that. Uh, half the group that that said this or thought this was fantastic, but the other half was uninterested, so we didn't get to try it. As one of the uninterested players said, quote, I'm not interested in playing a game where one of my superpowers is overcoming incontinence. Oh. End quote. <laughs> uh, okay. I guess. The idea could be fun with the right players, though, so I'll probably give it a try someday. Okay, that's good. I would, I I would play I that. It, I would totally play it. I think the other component is that instead of saying, you know, overcoming incontinence, don't go that far to the nursing home component. Think of the movie Red, Retired Extremely Dangerous. Think about that. Everybody in there is retired. They're older. They're 60s plus and uh, still very, very dangerous and very, very capable. So I think it would work. There was another one shot I played. I think it was GURPS that had a mixed cast of retired superheroes living in Florida and some of their grandchildren visiting for spring break. That was a fun game with a cool mix of young and cocky punks with the old and irritated codgers. That would be fun, too. (laughs) That could be a good time. You mentioned the wide array of options for playing teenagers or younger characters. I think that's because the coming-of-age story is such a strong aspect of collective story-slash-myth foundation. So during our age and role-playing games episode a few back, I was talking about how Brett and I seem to be emphasizing the aging in RPGs versus playing younger... Like, why don't... A lot of games, a lot of games play younger, can play younger, and a lot of them don't play older. Yes. It's kind of that whole concept of Monster Hearts and other games that are, um, what's the one, Velvet Glove and a couple others. Bubble Gum Shoe. Bubble Gum Shoe. There's there's no, um, you know, wheelchairs. We don't have, um, what what is it, rocking chairs and um, instead of Rocker Boys and Vending Machines, I'm trying to come up with another variation of uh, wheelchairs and something. It'll come up. Anyway, keep going. Keep going. I'll come up with Um, it. So, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I think that's because the coming of age is such a strong aspect of our collective story. Myth Foundation, from Harry Potter to Buffy the Vampire Slayer and so many in between. We love stories of young people finding themselves and crossing the line between childhood and adulthood. I I can absolutely see that. On the other side of the coin, though, we're all a little afraid of getting old and dying, so I understand why there aren't many stories or games that revolve around the experience, wisdom, and frailty that comes with growing old. There are some rich subjects buried in there, though, for gamers brave enough to dive in. Uh, yep, I totally would Absolutely say. agree. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Wish I could have made Game Hole Con maybe next year. Great show as always. Thank you, Angela. That's very nice of you. Yes. I do. I do. Though, I know after we did the aging episode, we talked about it. We've had between Angela and a couple other folks that have written in. It's really got me thinking, you know, for especially for a con game, a one shot type of thing, you know, a con game type of setup saying, hey, we're going to play retirees here. We're going to play this older group of folks or or whatever. I think there's some I think there's some cool stuff that's uh, definitely buried in there. I, and um yeah, I, I do. I do. Th- I didn't think about the, you know, the fear of age and dying and so forth. But that may well be an under undercurrent that keeps people from doing it. That you just don't always subconscious, I guess, as I would say. 
Yeah, it could be one of those. Um, could be one of those. Yeah, I try to escape all that stuff. So the the last thing I want to do is game in that world. I don't You're know. Talking about how old I am. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Next one I'll read. Okay, cool. This is a short one. Yeah. So Josh. Josh is the 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 gentleman that hits us up for Gamehole Con Uber. Oh, that's right. Instead of making Brett shave his magnificent beard, what if each person who donates got one hair from his chinny chin chin? Maybe they can specify dark or light too. <laughs> <Or> light. <laughs> hey, so yeah, if you are, more, there's getting to be more light in here than there is dark. If so. you are not a patron. That's what he's referring to, one of our patron levels. If you're not a patron and you'd like one whiska from Brett's beardum, and you want to specify, I think we can later <laughs> dark. We'll pluck or that. if you want to, or if you want to get on the on the official, is uh, there's a certain level in which I will shave. So yes, but uh, very good suggestion from Josh. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, Josh, I'll get you back, sir. <laughs> All right, Goblin's Henchman wrote in. Hi, BSers, just got uh, done listening to Bonus BS 16, Mark Miller and Traveler, and Bonus BS 17, Watsy and uh, 5e D&D. I found both episodes remarkable. I understand if you don't want to read this post uh, out as it contains a dissenting view. Dude, that is totally fine, yeah, Henchman. We, lo- we love dissent. <laughs> we, need some, we need some dissenting view. Yeah, I found the two opposites. I Excuse me, I found two episodes, polar opposites. Although I've not played either system, Traveler and 5e, I found myself inspired by one and quite the opposite by the other. Mark was overflowing with ideas and new content. Not a sci-fi guy, but boy, did he make me interested. I'm sorry to say I felt the Watsi approach stagnant and bereft of creativity. The approach was safe to the point of a standstill. Any creative spark left in their product seems to lie in the legacy of the material they have dissected and repackaged. At best, on the Watsi approach, seemed akin to rebooting old wine. Rebottling, excuse me, rebooting, rebottling old wine. At worst, their approach seemed as if they were uh, taste testing a new sausage, looking at the lowest common denominator and getting uh, and going on with that. I know 5e has been well received by many, but can it really add to the hobby in the long term by simply airbrushing and repackaging the daring ideas of others? Is this why Watsi is on the, the go slow publication path? As once the pantry is pillaged, the cupboard will be bare. Okay, I admit my knowledge of 5e is thin. What I heard made me want to get out of my tatty old orange-spined AD&D books and give them a giant hug and give thanks to people who dared to have new ideas. Call me out, BSers, if, if I speak out of turn. On an up note, the uh, DIY community is thriving and new ideas being put out there all the time. Thanks for hearing me out, Goblin's Henchman. Oh, and the PS. So are you going to have a listener competition? New monster, weapon, trap, room? I, I think that's a damn good idea. Sean, I'll have to get some thought on that. But I'll tell you what, Henchman... Going back to, I agree. I, I did not make the Mark Miller one, so I downloaded it and Sean got it. I agree. It was pretty cool. <sighs> the Watsi one is very, is much more corporate, right? The guys have been trained. They have Hasbro and uh, they are very tight lip, closed mouth around what is or coming and what is not. The one thing that I have heard Perkins say, on uh, uh, he said last year and he said again here, I don't believe it was quite as vocal um, in this panel. Um, last year's, <coughs> excuse me, Chris Perkins solo panel, I thought was better, uh, from just a raw in, information perspective, but Perkins has said, and other guys have, have stated this too, that they know for a fact that most people homebrew 
their D&D world. They know a lot of people do that. So I think a lot of what they're trying to do is publish things that anybody who is homebrewing or wants a big campaign can have access to. I don't know. I, I, I agree. There is a, there is a weird feeling for me too. I'm like, it's neat that you are repackaging something like Ravenloft. Great. You redid that for me. So I don't have to go on to the interweb and find out somebody who made a, a 5e hack of the original Ravenloft game. Although it actually wouldn't be all that hard. Um, I think the the strength of 5e is the fact that you can get the three core books and you're done. I mean, really done as far as the other books that they're putting out from adventures and so forth. They're really, you don't feel like if you don't have them, you're missing a critical part of the game. I think it's much more self-contained than it had been, but yeah, there is a, it's neat to hear them talk about rebooting stuff, but, or rebottling as you say, henchman, but I don't, um, I don't see anything new, new coming out of there. And that is, maybe that's a, maybe that is a bad thing. Sean, what do you think of them about this here? You know, it's a good, it's a good observation. I, I, um, sat in on both obviously and recorded both. And I think they're both different. Um, Mark and the Watsy folks, Traveler versus D and D. Um, just even how they ran their, Seminar was different. Now going to the banking on the reboots and rebottling, yeah, I think it works. Um, I think I I might know what's coming up. My my bet, my bet is on the keep on the borderlands. Like I think that's coming, and I think that a majority of the proponents of the game are older. I think if you drew, I think if you drew out the D and D crowd, and you and you took everybody's age, the bell curve at the height would probably be somewhere around our age, Brett. Forties. Probably, yeah. I would say anywhere between thirty-five and forty-five would probably be a good sweet spot. And you know, if you take something, before I lose a thought here, the the do-it-yourself community is thriving, and hence, that's a damn good point there, Henchman, because the. DMs Guild and the people creating other stuff out there for it. Again, that homebrew aspect of it is really, really strong in 5e, which is really cool. I think that if it, my initial thought when I when I heard what they were going to do was going to be because they had Pendleton Ward as somebody who was working with them, and Pendleton does Adventure Time, the wacky fun cartoon. Um, I'm thinking that it's it could very well be something uh, along the Planescape component, or as I bet. Um, Crew Steel, I bet him Greyhawk. I said something in Greyhawk is coming. Keeping the Borderlands would be, I think, uh, instead of focusing wherever it is that they're doing, because they've stepped out of the realms with um, the with the Ravenloft one. I'm wondering if they're going to go to something in a different setting, right? Um, I, I think the other piece, though, is that when I want to introduce my kids, and I say, oh, I had a lot of fun playing Keeping the Borderlands. I had a lot of fun in the against the giant series, you know, or, Oh wow. Against the you know, temple of elemental evil. And I want to run that type of thing again. I think that'd be fun. And Oh, wow. I have Tiamat and this other adventure. That'd be cool. Holy shit. Here we go. Boom. I can run five E the latest and greatest version of D and D with my kids or younger players or new players. And I don't have to perhaps 
if I, if I sold my old collection or if I don't have them anymore, all that stuff is there. So to your point, Sean, I think the nostalgia, if you will, that, that component of it for men and women, our age that are probably really strong in, in the D and D aspect of the hobby. Maybe that's, maybe that's the reason, right? Cause we're the ones buying it. Cause we're like, Oh, that was fun when I was a kid. I'd like to see what they've done with it or something along those lines. Is I that think, where you're going or I th- am I? Yes. I think there's a direct correlation with the demographic that play D&D and where they are in first edition AD&D primarily and where we are today now. And and I say where we are today now as in not only age, but disposable income. So, Brett, demographic-wise, not to get into a huge, a huge quagmire in demographics, but when you're about 40-ish, you are – making probably as much money as you ever will. You are responsible for your parents as well as children. Like I forgot what it's called. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but that, that time in life is kind of, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily called the sweet spot, but basically you're contributing the most than you ever will. Right, because as you start to get over that hump, it starts the mm-hmm. down the downturn. Right, and as that, you're that makes sense. as you're younger, you're coming up to that. So, having said that, Xers are making up that that component, and there isn't a lot of them. But we have a lot of nostalgia that's based on that. And I think that if you and I sat down and went, man, wouldn't it be cool to roll out, you know, you know, against the giants, the slavers you know, Temple of Elemental Evil, whatever it was that we really enjoyed playing when we, we were growing up, AD&D, whatever that is, whatever those memories are, whether we're still with the same group or not. And we wanted to talk to others that we have like, okay, I've moved on from my home group. But I have a new group, or maybe I don't have a group and I'm going to start one, whatever that is. You can go back to some of those things. And then some of them may age better than others, but as they come out and say, Hey, here's keep on the borderlands. Hey, here's curse of Strahd. You know, here's the giants and a tribute to the giant series. Those things we can latch onto and then we can pitch to other people because that's kind of our thing. The people that have come up and maybe not have started there, maybe they started in fourth edition and third edition and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, they may not know those classics as well as, you know, or we don't, they may not look upon those, the same way we do, like, oh, that's Temple Elemental, evil, big deal. It's like it's kind of like old TV shows. Like, my, absolutely. That that was know. a there was a last year. Perkins mentioned this in the in the seminar that we captured. That is, a, we still have that one. The uh, the one from last year's game will come. The Chris Perkins solo one. Um, one of the things that D and D wants to have is a shared experience. So that way you can say, I played Keep on the Borderlands. I played the Curse of Strahd. I played this, and. It, like it used to be, hey, did you ever play the Tomb Horrors? No, I heard that thing's brutal. Oh, my God, it's brutal. So when you talk to one of the old grognards and say, hey, I just did Temple of Elemental Evil. And they say, 5e version? Yeah. Did you play the original? Yes, I did, says Brett. Oh, wow, cool. Um, Here's what this one did. Was it different? Was it this? It draws a connection between the new and the old and so on and so forth. I think, though, a piece of what the henchman brought out here is, can it really add to the hobby in the long term by simply airbrush? I don't know. 
if D&D is really looking to necessarily add to the gaming hobby. I don't know if that's necessarily a charter thing for them to do. They are a, it's a marketing, um, what would I say? it's a property, right? They want to properly market the property to make money. I get that. I totally do. I think if nothing else, it's still a gateway drug for other games. Um, sure, there's a ton of people who are going to get into it, play it, and never play anything else. Fine. Other guys are going to be like, most of our listeners, Sean and I, and they're going to end up with a shell for a, a, a you know gigabytes of PDFs of other game systems that you've picked up and want to try. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think whether it adds anything brandy new to the gaming component or not, I kind of, I don't know if I care. Uh, I don't look to D&D to be the, um, that's not my groundbreaker. D&D is not the place I expect innovation in systems mechanics or Anything like that? I don't look to D&D to do that. And I don't believe, this is just, again, Brett talking. I don't think that's their charter. I don't think that's what they're there to do. And uh, if they want something a little more innovative, they're like, fine, that's what John Wick is for. That's what, you know, Robin Laws and all those other folks. And uh, Jason Morningstar and all those folks. I'm, you know, hell, you know, Chris and Phil are building stuff um, over at Encoded Designs, you know, for the Misdirected Mark crew when they're doing the Hydro Hackers and stuff. Those are the folks in Apocalypse World that's where our innovation is going to come from. D&D's not looking to innovate per se. No, right? I, I don't look at I don't look at Ford to tell me what the new greatest innovation. I'm looking at Tesla to tell me something cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a good analogy, Brett. That's a that's a good summation there. I like that. Um and speaking of in Traveler and Mark Miller, I got to admit that obviously Traveler's been around for quite some time. I don't play it very often. I, it's a game I'd like to get into. It kind of perplexes me, which is weird. It shouldn't, but it does. Um, 5e Traveler, even though they put it out and Mark wrote a novel, I don't think what he had to say drove me to go, wow, I got to play some Traveler. Because I, I think for him, the way he kind of spoke about the game was knowing that players kind of, they played it already. Like, they know about it. It, it. To me, I mean, that seminar that he gave was not to somebody who's never played Traveler. He was there to do Q&A for people who were like, oh, my God, Miller's here. He never goes to cons anymore. I've been a Traveler fan for 20 years. I want to ask him some questions. Right. Yeah, and he yeah. In, okay. his, in his format was very Q&A, right? Like, he didn't come in with a... A script. He, he had no agenda. No, no agenda. He was just going to be there. Came, came with the price tag of his admittance. Um, very nice guy, Mark Miller. I was very impressed with him and his demeanor. Um, told him we were recording it just to get it out there to his fans. And um, you know, had I known maybe what I do now, and I I was tuned into that community a little bit better. You know, I would have pinged the community for Q&A and I would have just moderated the panel myself, which is something we can consider down the road, Brett. But Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I tried to do that just before I uh, did the Ed Greenwood interview, tried to get some questions from different BSers out there and, and bug folks. But I think that's a damn good idea. We can talk to Alex and the guys about that next year. Yeah, but very cool. Very good. Thanks for emailing us because uh, that's definitely spurs some conversation and opinions. Um so thanks for doing that. And then we'll have to find out from the community if there's an interest in doing a new monster weapon trap or room. I would be interested in doing that, but probably making it very like I know that Paizo does the RPG superstar mm-hmm. 
kind of competition, I would probably want to do it like there's also a a place, a Twitter account. I think it's the Star Wars one, like Star Wars RPG plots or something or an adventure in a tweet or something. It may even be like, what can you do in 140 characters or less? Yeah. And then we got to build it, put it out there, get people to vote on it. All that good stuff. Yeah. I mean, we, who knows? Cool. But th- that's something. If good you, stuff. Yeah. By all means. Good that was stuff. damn. That was good. That was a good perspective too. Um, uh, henchman. So I really, we, Sean, I both appreciate that. That's good stuff. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Next one. Over to you, sir. Christopher emails us BSers. I need your help. You're my only hope. This time I'm not writing to give you some big mechanical widget that I designed, although I could. Did I tell you about my crafting mechanic? (laughs) No, actually, I'm writing because it sounds like you guys are heavily into cons and I may have stepped in it. So one night recently, I was thinking about what I wanted to run at Strategic Con, Southern Cal's awesome three times a year gaming convention. I think the Happy Jackers go to Strategic Con. I think they're always pimping that one. I think they do. I believe they do. Yep. Jim and Jim and the Jib. I know Jib has listened to us. Um, ah, nice chair. Here we go. Um, I already decided on a session I've played a few times using Powered by the Apocalypse. I'm not worried about that one. I also wanted to also do a D&D session as I usually, but wanted to come up with something interesting and non-trivial. So I had a bourbon, but did you have a scotch? And one bourbon, one scotch, and one beer. And did you have a beer? And was sitting around poking at my D&D stuff. And then I thought, dude, I could just run a session where players hit Ravenloft and kill Strahd. So I polished my bourbon. Still doesn't say he had a scotch or a beer. You're muted, buddy. Sally, I, I, I was just, I was just be, be, bemoaning the fact that you didn't have more than one bourbon. I know. Sallied forth and created an event at Strategic Con. The next, the next morning, I thought, oh shit! I looked at Curse of Strahd. How the hell am I supposed to get players to raid the castle on kill and kill Strahd in four hours? <laughs> Good luck, sucker. Yeah, man, you can't. Curse of Strahd, dude, that's like people are playing that thing like once a week for like a year before they get to Ravenloft. So if you want to, if you're and way to do this might well be to get the original Castle Ravenloft module, which I believe is out there in PDF format at drive-thru, I believe it is. Get a hold of that and look that over. And you might have to do some, if you want to use 5e, you might have to do some tweaks or changes perhaps to rules or use the, uh, what do I want to say, the monster stats and all that stuff from the curse, curse of Strahd, the new piece, and kind of fold it in there. But you're going to have to abbreviate the shit out of the curse of Strahd. Maybe jack up the player's classes, something, give them a long kind of a preamble. Hey, you're here. You're ready to do this thing. Let's go kill a goddamn vampire. Um, You're going to have to cut stuff, man. Um, I have not read the original um, Castle Ravenloft in years, so I don't know if that one would actually play faster, but it might be worth taking a look at to see if you can find any shortcuts to get them from point A to point B, like into the castle, go. 
Sean, what do you think? Yeah, you gotta you get I mean, first of all, Curse of Strat is not the model you wanna look at um at, overall, because it's a sandbox. So you're yeah, gonna that, have you're gonna have to give these guys some direction. That's why I was thinking the original one. I mean, the original one is sandboxy enough, if I recall correctly, but it's going to be it's a eighth of the side page count for Christ's sake. You know, it should be faster. I would hope to punch through. Yeah. Um, def. So I would say, depending on how you, I mean, if you want to just have them raid the castle, just make them whatever level. I mean, it, it also depends. Like, is he going to, are you going to run five E? Did he say, I don't think so. He didn't mention the addition. But if you, no, I think I'm I'm assuming he wanted to do five E right. based on the fact he pulled out Curse of Strahd. So, but like I say, even if you took the original and simply used the stat blocks and such from Curse, you should be able to put something together there. I've not read Curse of Strahd, so I don't know if there is a decent way to shortcut that sucker. I have no clue. Dude, just you're gonna have to the party is gonna have to have a few things before they go there items and levels make them there tell them that they're in the freaking castle and it's go time they're sitting in front of strad whatever how you set it up and then they can they've been sent to rid it like maybe they're following a cleric and the cleric's like hey it's you guys are with me we're gonna go rid this evil but that's i don't know how long it takes to get through the damn castle that might four hours is probably at least so I but figure it out. You know, the players don't have to map it all out, so they don't, you know, you can make it very simple for four, four encounters, five encounters. Well, I'll tell you what though, the other piece here, folks, is anyone listening to this, any of our uh, listeners who grabs a hold of this and has an idea, um email it to Sean and I, post it in our Google Plus community hit us up on the facebook uh group wherever you can find us and we will be happy to pass your ideas or thoughts over to christopher because if somebody's like oh fuck dude i've done that i crushed it i did this thing all i had to do is take page five six seven eight hack this out done maybe somebody's done this i have no idea if you have or have a good idea let us know we'll uh do what we can to get it into christopher's hands the easiest way is just they get invited to castle ravenloft as guests they're at dinner as dinner, at, as dinner. and then they can't leave. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a hotel California approach. There you go. All right. Next one. Carson emailed us. Uh, hello. I'm a new listener to your show. I've started episode one. And I'm currently on 33. <laughs> see, see Carson, Carson already strikes me as an individual who knows how to follow directions. Carson, I like you. Um, I like to listen to you guys as I uh, work for General Motors um, I, so the day goes by quicker. I listen to about six to eight episodes a day right now. Holy oh, crap. That's, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of Brett and Sean all that's at a, once. That's a lot of eating up some podcasts there. Nom, nom, nom. I am new to the RPG scene. I'm currently jamming for my group with Imperial Assault, which is an awesome game. I know the show is helping me become a better GM and making me understand a lot of stuff. Dude, thank you very much, Carson. That is very, very flattering. Uh, continues with, I love the show so far. I do need some help, though. I'm wanting to start expanding my RPG books, and I'm looking at Savage Worlds Deadlands. What books do I need to start with as for a hard copy over PDF? What other Savage Worlds books would you recommend? Also, I don't like you guys as Green Bay Packer fans. Go Lions! Thank you from your listener in the great state of Michigan. 
All right, Carson. We're going to have to talk about your preference of football teams. But apart from that, you seem like a stand-up individual. And uh, we will overlook your Lions um, uh, fandom there and uh, do our best to help you. So if you want to do Savage Worlds and you want to do Deadlands, there's Savage. Uh, the Deadlands Reloaded is the Savage Worlds core book for Deadlands. I have that. I have a hard copy of it. It's a great book. It's gorgeous. And you don't need anything else for that. That could get you going right there. Sean, you have played more Savage Worlds than I have, apart from the the core book. Do you have any other Savage Worlds books that you would recommend? I am not wholly familiar with Deadlands. I haven't. I got a bundle from the original Deadlands. So just so you are aware, Carson, that there's classic Deadlands and then there's Deadlands Reloaded, like Brett mentioned. They play quite differently, even though Savage Worlds kind of comes from that original Deadlands. But I've I've told I've talked to people that have played both, and they're you know they have strong opinions about one or the other. So just Shane, so Hens- Shane Hensley, the guy, the lead man from Pinnacle, will tell you flat out they are two different games. If you like one, stick with the original. If you like the Savage Worlds approach, you know go Reloaded. Yeah, he is. He's you know. Yep. So that's just something to be aware of because I got the bundle with a butt ton of original Deadlands. Um, plays a little bit different, like Brett said. Uh, having said that, I have Weird Wars 2. I have Reality Blurs' uh, Agents of Oblivion. I have. They also have a Reality Blurs has a Cthulhu one. I have a PDF of that. Now, I know I know what you you'd said here. Um, Carson, that you, you like, um, books versus hard copy over PDF, What you may need to do is do like a print on demand thing. Um, I don't know how easy it will be to get hardcovers or I should say hard copies of a lot of these, just kind of throwing that out there. You should be able to order all the deadlands reloaded stuff. I think right off of their website. Um, well, they've got them on PD in PDF on their website and I, I know you can get, I know you can get hard copies, but yeah, they're not unless you got a really robust local game store that carries a lot of different inventory. It probably isn't going to show up on the shelf. And the other thing, from a world's perspective, <laughs> if you like old school swords and sorcery per, with the Savage Worlds approach, they do have Lankmar, right? So they've got Fought for the Gray Mauser Lankmar. That's a good one. Um, East Texas University is very popular. That one you'll see Carl Kiesler, uh, runs a bunch of that. If you catch him on Google plus, he's got some great miniatures and so forth for that. The, let's see here. Shit. They've got space night, 1889. Um, oh shit. What, what's that? Riffs. Riffs is, you know, riffs, yeah. savage riffs. There is so much savage yeah. stuff out there. So there's, so Carson with savage worlds, if you're, if you're, so we're addressing your, what books do I need? Um, da, 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 other Savage Worlds books would you recommend? So get the core book. That's going to be 10 bucks out of pocket. Get a couple copies. Um, yep. That's the deluxe Savage Worlds deluxe edition. You're going to need that as the core rules. I would get the, if you want to run fantasy, get the fantasy companion. If you're going to run science fiction, get the science fiction companion. Those are both done by Pinnacle. Um, and they're, you know, they complement whatever you're looking at. Some of the things we're talking about, Brett and I are very setting centric. 
So they have hindrances and a lot of different rules, but they're really based around the specific setting that you're playing in. So Last Parsec is another pinnacle setting that they have, which is science fiction. It's almost kind of like Traveler, Star Frontiers-ish, um, if you know Star Frontiers from the olden days. Um, interface, then there's, so you have core pinnacle stuff, and then you have third-party licensed settings and books. Some of the ones we mentioned are uh, not core, they're not pinnacle, and some some are. Um, some other ones, third-party interface zero, is a good one if you like cyberpunk. Um, God, there's just so many. Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. Um, if um, Christian Sexy Voice Serrano or Ron Blessing, any of those guys, and I'll tell you what, the Mongrel is a big Savage Worlds guy too. If you gents or ladies out there who know anything about Savage Worlds and play a lot of it and think there's a good place to start with, for uh for Carson um hit it up in a community or send us an email and we'd and we'll get that in Carson's hands but honestly I think the um Deadlands is great Deadlands Reloaded you can stay in the Savage Rules place I love Lankmar I'm a big Fafnir Great Monster fan so I would I would uh suggest sticking in there um if you like Rifts you can get in on that <coughs> um you do you need the companion books for those components not necessarily the Savage World core has enough to get you, if you want to run your own homebrew fantasy, has enough in there. You don't necessarily need the fantasy companion. You could get started and see if you like it and get more. Um, hmm. God, there's so much stuff. Yeah, it really, really do, it really does depend on what you want to what what kind of game you want to play. There's so- King Solomon. Um, if you like Solomon Solomon King Solomon King. Why do I keep King Solomon? So- Solomon King. Solomon King. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's all kinds of different ones. I mean, and the, you get um, what's Fannin's? Oh, the um, shit! Uh, he's doing Savage Rifts now. He did uh, whatever, totally blanking. Whatever it. it's big the is. big fantasy goddamn thing. Shit! Yeah. I backed it too, and I can't remember it. Anyways, damn it. Anyway, there's a ton of stuff. If so, I'll tell you what, Carson. If you have a genre that you would like like hey i want to play savage worlds fantasy i want to play savage worlds uh deadlands well you know go to deadlands reloaded if you want to play savage worlds sci-fi let us know and um or hit the communities up in our google plus or our facebook groups and um some listener out there who's a savage worlds nut will be more than happy to point you at some cool stuff yeah thanks for writing in thanks for listening and i'm not a, a big football fan i'm a I have my team, but I am not even following them, and I think they got the best record in the NFL. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I haven't even – I, I haven't been following the Packers lately. They've been too busy prepping for Evercon and hunting as of late. Yeah. All right. Last one's for you, sir. Aaron Lacey. Hello, everyone. This uh, – G+. This being my first post, I'll try to make it as organized as possible. I'm very new to the RPG world. We, we promise not to ruin it for you or try not to ruin it for we you. We will try not to. Although uh, if you listen this far, we may have already done that. And if so, we apologize. We don't want to drive you away. Stay here no matter what we say. Exactly. Even though it has been something in my interests for years, being a young woman, nobody ever took me serious. Oh, that's disappointing. Boo! Agreed. Boo. That's terrible. Keep going. 
Uh, firstly, I would like to say this group has really helped me with putting myself out there and actually diving into this beautiful world. Awesome. Although I love RPGs, it does end up making me worried I'm messing up, possibly due to unforgiving party members, but I'm just wondering if it gets easier. The anxiety of playing wrong tends to take me out of the immersion and I feel it may do the same for those I am playing with. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Again, thank you for having this group for us. It gives me an opportunity to have the opportunity I have never had before. Being outcast for not looking like the type or simply for being a girl had kept me from playing, but now I feel like I am able to dip my toes in the water a bit more. P.S. Living in Madison and not being able to go to Gamehole Con was very painful. Hello to all the, all the Wisco BSers. Sweet. Well, Aaron, I'll tell you, my, um, if you've listened to us, you've heard me talk about my, my daughter, Ilana. She's my, my youngest. She's eight. And um, I got her a copy of Little Wizards. It's a um, kid's role-playing game. She's read that. She's going to run that <clears throat> for my son, AJ, and I over uh, Christmas break is what she's planning to do. And one of the things that I do with her to help point her at the right folks and say, hey, look, just because you're a girl doesn't mean that you don't belong in this hobby, right? Sean, I've talked about this in the inclusion episode and so forth. But I look at people like Angela, I've got, we've got Jen Brinkman, um, Satine Phoenix. There's a ton of amazing people that we've met. I mean, the, um, uh, shit. Um, Stacey Delfano. Stacey Delfano. Yeah. I mean, just, just Contessa. Tons of cool people. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Contessa's out there. Um, the, uh, she's a super geek. Those ladies, yep. I mean, they, they know what they're doing. Emily um, and Senda. Emily and Senda. Yes. For those I that, go. <laughs> for those yeah, that are forgetting names. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just rolling, rolling out there. But so Aaron, the, if you have an unforgiving group, right. If you've got a group of people that are giving a little crap, because you're doing it wrong, right? First off, there's really no doing it wrong, right? So try, it's hard, right? Because I have that anxiety too. When I ran at GameholeCon this last, this last, uh, <clears throat> this last one, I was worried, like, what if I fuck something up? What if I did something wrong in my Warhammer game or my Middle Earth game? God, God knows if anybody would ever even notice because these games are dead and haven't been in production for a while. But I don't want to wreck something. I don't want to wreck somebody's fun. As a game master, if you're running, if you're the one that are helping present, if you are having fun and you're not, you know, just overrunning everybody else's fun, if you're having fun because the group is having fun, it can, it's, it's going to work. It does get easier. I can tell you that flat right now. It's going to be hard at the beginning. Um, you're going to try things. It's going to fail and that's totally okay. And if I, I will tell you this right now, if you have people that you're gaming with, I don't know how many people in your group, Aaron, say you got four people, two of them are being pricks. Two of them, men and women, just are being complete pricks to you. And those folks give you crap every time you make a mistake or something like that. I would seriously consider maybe not playing with those folks as often. Playing with the other two people, getting yourself more confident, working your way through it. People who will support you as you game and continue to push forward. That's going to help you build your confidence more than trying to figure out what's going to make Sean and Brett not get mad at me this week. I mean, you don't need that kind of pressure because that's horseshit. So I know that's not easy to do, especially if you're friends or family with these folks, but, and, and I don't know that situation, Aaron, but that's just a, 
off the top of my head, that's just a, a thing I could think of. Sean, what are you what are you thinking? Man, do not let these assholes drive you out of a hobby that is enjoyable for you. If it's oh, something amen, you love, God bless America and a holes, and and fellow BSers that are not a holes, and you witness this stuff, please like. I don't know, put us in check when we get out of line or something like we say dumb shit sometimes and, and it comes across improperly and inappropriately. And, you know, not all of us are, are crazy shitheads, but sometimes we say shitheaded things, but yeah, (laughs) God, man, Aaron, whatever you do, just do not jump the hobby because you're running into a couple dweebs that aren't, that that aren't encouraging you to do things or or even just maybe it's I don't know maybe it's the style of play whatever it is I mean I've played in games with guys too that are just like yeah it's just not my it's not the way I want to play that's not that they're playing wrong it's just yeah. maybe not the way I prefer I mean maybe they're really gonzo and everything's kind of slapstick comedy and it's really light and that's cool and that's okay but it may not be the way I really want to play my game or whatever game I'm in. And I've had lots of different game groups and I don't know everybody that I'm playing with all the time. I mean, Brett knows Kevin. I've never played with Kevin before. We game Wayne Humphrey, same thing. Like we invite him into the game thinking it's going to be fine. And it is. Luckily. Well, it is. It is. Right. It is. Wayne's great. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, for the most part, for the most part. Yeah. But, but I mean, it doesn't, just because you're playing with these folks now does not mean you have to for the rest of your God-given life. We've talked about this before, but there is, I'm showing you dead right, because there's online gaming, um, lots of different places to meet and connect with people. <clears throat> if you're interested, uh, the Contessa thing is, as Sean mentioned, I didn't even think about that. That's an awesome way to get out there and, and run games. I don't uh, know if she's and, running or not. <clears throat> I don't know. No, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, my assumption is, well, you, you talk about Aaron. Aaron's yeah. definitely running. Is she running? Yeah, she is. Yeah. Or even well, I, get, I strike that. I guess she says uh, even the anxiety of playing wrong. So, Aaron, here, here's the other piece. Now, if you're playing right, and <clears throat> unless the game master is giving is the asshole giving you crap for doing it wrong or whatever the case is, um, you know, you, you might. I hate to say this, but it's not easy to find groups. It is not. And I will say that out. But if you've got a group of people, like four or five of you, and half of them roll their eyes, oh, my God, Aaron doesn't know what she's doing again. If they're giving you that kind of crap, you don't need that crap at all. Um, If you're not adverse to playing online, you can find some amazingly awesome people to game with online. It'll be a lot more supportive, a lot more helpful. So... I guess to uh, to kind of put a bow on this one for now, Aaron. Keep at it. Um, I'm, we're glad you're here. It's awesome that you uh, contacted us and uh, said these incredibly nice things to us. So thank you very much, Aaron. But for if if it's fun and you're having a good time with it, stick with it. It will get easier. It does get it. easier. Yes, that to answer that question directly it does get easier. And you're not the thing is though. One thing I want to mention too, Brad is. When it talk when she talks about um, doing it wrong, there's also the not knowing of the rules piece, right? So maybe maybe there's that component where Lacey or Aaron, Aaron, you're you're maybe not wholly familiar with the rules, and that's okay. And if your group 
depending on how they roll um, and how they use the rules. Like me, I'm not a big rules guy, but maybe I have one in the group that is, and that's fine. And maybe you're in a group that really needs the emphasis on the rules. But typically, a lot of us started out not knowing the rules. Jeremy Crawford's on Watsy, and he was on the panel, and he's like, I grew up, I, I didn't even know there were rules to the game I was playing that I was having so much fun, right? Exactly. You heard it, Brett, yeah. right? Oh, it's just, it was, it was hilarious. Laugh. Yeah, yeah everybody laughed. Um, so having said that, as time goes on, you'll learn some of the rules. Some of them can be a little daunting, right? I mean, look at these books. I mean, you, you point this out and say, hey, this is a rule book. People are like, holy cow. And ones that have never played before, they're like, that's a rule book? You need to know everything in there? No, not necessarily. You don't need to know all the classes and everything that they're doing. You might need to know a little bit about what yours does. So yes, it will get easier. Yes, you will learn the rules. You'll learn more about gaming um, and you'll have much more fun. And then if it's a chemistry thing with your group, yeah, don't don't give up, especially here in Madison. I mean, if you're local, holy cow, make sure you look me up too, because you know we got gamer, we got a gamer breakfast on Sundays, and you're certainly welcome to show up too as a new person. We'll we'll open our arms up to you, so you don't bail because of a couple of knuckleheads. Absolutely, cool. Yeah, All right, man, we're never gonna get through this episode. No, we're not. It's gonna go along. We're going long. Going, yeah. All right. Thanks for writing in and thanks for putting it out there because that takes a lot of, uh, you know, takes a lot of gumption. It absolutely does. That's a lot of spine to step up and say, hey, I'm new here and uh, yeah, and say what you've said there, Aaron. So kudos to you. Very good stuff. Yes. Don't be a stranger. Me and Brad are local. More ways than one. Absolutely. All right. Okay, gods and RPGs. Let's see if we can knock this out in 10 minutes. Yeah, so I use gods and my RPGs, do you? We, I do sometimes. Awesome. It depends. Sounds good. I'll give you Let's my canned answer. Depends. <laughs> it depends. Man. Yeah. There you go. So, All right. What are we talking about next week, Brett? <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, All right. So this was inspired by the pure mongrel. He, uh, mongrel writes us some wonderful... Um, Long soapboxes on uh, our Google Plus space. Lo- we love the mongrel and uh, a brother from one of our brothers from down under. And he mentioned something a while back about gods that got me thinking, like, boom, that's a topic idea. I really like that. So, and I don't want to just talk about gods. Like, hey, how do you run your gods in Greyhawk? How do you run your gods in this D&D world? No, no, no. Let's take it a little bit broader than that. So, I honestly, so let's start with a simple one. In a D&D fantasy, traditional fantasy type of game, Sean, do you tend to run, I guess, how do you like your gods, right? Do you like to use existing, like, pre-gen gods? You want to make up your own? You want to take some, like, a Viking mythology? What do you, how do you, uh, how do you pick your gods, man? I want them fried and smothered in gravy. (laughs) That's not a bad idea. Yummy gods. Ah. They, yeah, they got to be in my fantasy. Uh, the cleric's gotta know him. It's gotta be tied okay. to something. Yeah. But how was your question? You're like, you, you so started out saying question, like, Hey, so, do you do yeah, this? So and you're like, my and, question is, is like, you use them. Great. Yes. What extent, what extent do you use them? Um, but let's narrow it down a little bit from there. Let me backtrack here. So do you use gods? Um, when you just like, Oh, I have a world. Do you just say, well, I'm going to play forgotten realm. So I'll just use those gods. 
if you homebrew, do you pick gods from a certain pantheon, like Norse mythology or Celtic or an African one or something? How do you do that? I see. So if I'm writing, a, if I'm running a session, if I'm running a campaign and it's fantasy based, then it's, and it's a pre-published setting, then sure. The individuals, if I'm running, they can use the ones that are in the book. If I'm playing, I will use the ones in the book. However, as a game master, and if I'm playing, if somebody wants to play a cleric and they don't want to play somebody that's in the rule book, I am totally down with that. And actually, I would encourage it because then they can make it up as they go. Like, hey, that's kind of the deal. Like, hey, man, I follow the the, the Brett God. He's really awesome. He's got like this cool beard and rides motorcycles <laughs> and has tattoos all of his body. And I'm spreading the word of the Brett God. And everybody can go, you're crazy, man. I don't even know what you're talking about. But that's the whole thing, right? You're goddamn right. I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Easy now. That's one of our tenants is to be crazy. That's right. Um, <laughs> nice. So when I do, if I'm running a pre-gen world, I have a tendency to be a little a little stiffer. I say, no, I will prefer you to use one of the gods that exist. Like in the realms, just use those. Boo. Greyhawk, use those. Boo. How, however, the reason I do Why? that Wait is a minute. Be, okay, you're going to go into that. Go ahead. Yeah. The reason I do that is because the rare times I'm actually running in a pre-gen world like Greyhawk, for example, is... What I'm telling the group is like, hey, the pram- The reason we're doing this is because we want the Greyhawk experience. We want to make sure that we're, you know, hitting all the Greyhawk points. So let's make sure we've got Cuthbert of the Cudgel and we've got Ayus of, you know, of evil and this and that and so on and so forth. So try to stick within these parameters because it all fits, quote unquote. We want that experience. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a, that's like weak. That. That's weak as shit, man, because Realms is big, man. Just because you got one cleric walking around worshiping and spreading the word of the Brett God doesn't mean that it doesn't have to, that it takes the forgotten realms out of the forgotten realms. I know that's just, that's your, that's your wrong opinion. That's fine. No, I'm kidding. It's just, you asked, you asked me why that's, that's generally why I do it. Well, you're gaming wrong. <clears throat> most likely. Uh, most just likely. kidding. Um, I tend to, I tend to homebrew more. And what I do when I homebrew is I pull from existing mythologies. Um, in my Avalon world, I've got Viking Celtic, I've got some Hindu, and but I use gods that are fairly well-known or look upable, if you will. I might twist them a little bit, and Odin might be a little bit different, or Kali may have a slightly different turn on, on her approach or whatever, but... You don't, actually to, make, you don't actually make up your own? No, I stopped doing that a while back because... Um, what happened is like, this is called, you know, so-and-so the Thunderer. So it's basically Thor, right? So it's basically Thor, but you're calling him Sean. Yeah. Well, right. That's right. So fuck all that. I just like, look, if it's, I'll use the Viking mythology. Now I twist it, add a little extra bit to it. I'll do some research in my Avalon world. I want an evil God or someone that I thought I could kind of have as little, that's like the main bad guy. So Erlig. Erlig happens to be a uh, Mongolian out in that section of uh, Asia, kind of god of death and just craziness. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. A little less known. If I could look it up, I could base it on something. Uh, kind of taking the Ken Height approach is start with Earth and go from there. Start with things that people have access to. Um, <clears throat> the other reason I do that is for a similar reason that Robert E. Howard 
did what he did with uh, Hyboria was taking things that are common, giving them a slight twist, and then everyone has reference points. It makes homebrew world faster to grab onto, especially when it, well, I shouldn't say especially, but because in a fantasy setting, the gods can have a very direct impact on how people live their lives or how they approach different things. So using something like that gives people a connection that they can immediately translate into a setting that's absolutely foreign. They have no reading material on. They can't go look up Realm stuff. They can't go look up Avalon stuff unless it's something I gave them. So it gives them a point of reference that they can just grab onto. So I will give you that by having, you know, by saying, hey, if you're going to be following the the gods of whatever, Forgotten Realms, you have to because then you do have a reference point, right? You want to, you yep. it's canon, it's kind of core. So I'll give you that. But otherwise, I think it's all kind of, I, I, honestly, it, I'll tell you what. I'll say, I, okay, I'll, I'll see that. If we were to play Greyhawk and you would be like, look, dude, I know Greyhawk like the back of my fucking hand. I'm going to worship Brett, the motorcycle god. Okay, dude, no motorcycles. Yeah, okay, it'll be a fiery horse. It'll be this thing. It'll be that thing. Okay, fine. You know Greyhawk, Sean. So you can tell me when I look at you and say, so what does Cuthbert of the Cudgel think about your god, Brett of the fiery horses? And Sean goes, well, I know enough about Cuthbert plus this plus that to say Brett of the Fire Horses looks like this to Cuthbert. Oh, I see. So I can ask you that and you can translate for me into how that works because you have a reference point. If you've never played it before, don't have any idea. Um, that makes it a little bit harder. I leave it up to the player, right? If they want to do that, then I expect them to come up with that stuff. Yes. What that's, I'm saying is like, that I'm if you have. I'm empowering the if, player to create that. Correct. I just want to make sure the player has the right data points to draw the connections to. That's where I'm coming from. Gotcha. Amen. I get where you're coming. I'm good, dude. That's okay. So I guess in this case, I'm kind of uh, I kind of line up my uh, boxcars on that God train and just kind of get everybody going in that in that direction. There it is. Ah. There we go. That's the God. That's the that's the God train this time. So now, an interesting thing to me, though, is then taking God's fantasy. We could talk about that. Like, oh, how do you do it? Oh, that's neat. Oh, blah, blah, blah. So when you run a sci-fi game, do you deal with with gods in sci-fi? I have to admit, uh, they don't often come up, but I can see that they could and should. I think the interesting part to me with uh, sci-fi, especially when you deal with different alien races, anything that's non-human, is then that's when it's really fun for me to make up gods. Like, oh, it's the Vrusks from Star Frontiers. What kind of deity would they worship? Well, you know what? The Vrusks actually don't. They're all atheists. They all believe in science and technology, and therefore they have they don't believe in any gods. Anybody who does is foolish. Great. Um, the Drellocytes or the Vulcans or the Romulans or whatever, what gods may or may they worship or not. Um, that can make for some interesting stuff. And I like to be able to um, make them up for that, for my sci-fi stuff is a lot more fun for me. I think it also helps then to um, enhance that new alien non-human race and make them into something, give them another, a, uh, a, a, is a moral starting point or a compass of some point to start from right you're gonna have groups like no i don't believe in that i believe in this other god i don't believe in that god i believe in this other one i'm an atheist i'm agnostic i'm this i'm that but it gives a point of reference then so oh you're a brusque 
Um, but you're wearing a cross. That's interesting. Yes. I'm uh, I know a lot of my, you know, for my home plants, not a big deal, but I converted to Christianity cause I was on earth. It just seemed like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so on and so forth. Oh, neat. Interesting. It gives a twist. It's something different to that race. So I like to do that. I think that um, gods in science fiction or even modern settings tend to take a back seat simply because in fantasy, gods typically have a role with clerics and healing. And so there's a more stronger bond, right? You know, if you're not worshiping a god in, say, D&D, one could say, well, then you don't have certain powers or you're a heretic or whatever that is. Where yes. I'm in science fiction or I'm a modern, you know, Knights Black Agents game, religion kind of takes a back seat and therefore it's never really. Well, actually, in Knights Black Agents, it's interesting because depending on the type of vampires you created, that is true. Religious, religious iconography can have a direct impact on said vampire. That is true. That was a bad example. I should have mentioned like Spycraft. Yeah. So just a quote-unquote regular espionage game. Yes. I actually find that it's interesting. Not only does it take a back seat, but, and this is kind of kind of fast-tracking to one of, the, one of the things I think we need to be cautious of as a group. This kind of almost goes to the whole, you know, don't be a dick at the table and be inclusive in a way, is that it can be tempting to have your counter-terrorist group going up against a Muslim terrorist organization. Why not? Oh boy. There's always Muslim terrorist organizations. Oh my God. You can't, you can't just, I mean, there has to be just that regular go-to thing that's in action movies or media or whatever it is. That stuff can be tired, trite, worn out. And depending who's at your table, if if you don't know who they are, it could be downright offensive. So, oh, great. You're saying my faith. My faith is the one that are the bad guys in this world. Great. Oh. Really? That's that's a that is a that's like politics and religion, man. Throwing that shit at the table, say, "Oh, great! What you're telling me right now, Sean, is that my faith is the one that are the bad guys in your espionage game." Great, fuck you, Sean. Right? That could that could lead to some nastiness. So my preference, in similar to in my fantasy world, when I when I use modern, not modern, or I should say different mythologies and so on, like Norse or Hindu or Celtic or even some African or South American ones. It gives a point of reference, but it's a fantasy setting. So if I change Quetzalcoatl and turn it into something a little bit different, like, oh, wow, that's kind of neat. That's interesting. Oh, wow, it's a fantasy world that I can change a little bit. Um, but I even there, <coughs> excuse me, don't normally go with uh, a Christianity motif, take it in there, and then work on that, right? I tend to pick something that is a little broader or older or I know there are people out there who do worship Odin. I know there are there are various different people that do lots of different things in that in that space. But <laughs> the short version is you got to be careful in some spaces that you don't make somebody's personal faith, belief, religion a joke, the bad guy, or something that is to be hated because that can go over really poorly. Sean's giving me the oh my god stare. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, that's dangerous, dangerous grounds, man. It totally is. Uh, that's it why absolutely I, is. I would never make, I mean, that's another thing you run into, Brett, if you're going to bring up the real, the real deal, man, I stay away from that crap. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the, the flip, right? Of like, Hey, having a point of reference, it sounds great, but when you twist it or you change it or you do something with it, unless it is well known, like, Hey, it's Loki, he's a trickster God. He's kind of a pain in the ass. 
Okay, I get that. Everybody understands that. That's kind of how he is, and that's what we're going to work with. Um, oh, now you're I, offending all the Loki worshippers. No, I think the Loki worshippers would be more than happy to say, yeah, he's a trickster god, and he's he's kind of sneaky. Okay. I don't know, because I don't worship he's still, he's still He's still chained to a rock anyway. Um, anyhow, point is, is that when I run my modern games, right, when I run Espionage or um, Call of Cthulhu or something along those lines, the evil group, if it's uh, a religious-based group, it tends to be a bizarre cult, right? Which is why Cthulhu is great because it's, it's fucking evil and weird and twisted. You worship Yogg-Sothoth, what the hell's wrong with you? Um, again, it's a made-up thing. When I run an espionage game going after a counter-terrorist group, it is not a religious-based terrorist group. It's more of a group that believes in absolute <clears throat> anarchy or they hate this thing or it's kind of the James Bond versus Spectre almost you you draw a um, that's one of the reasons for me anyway like multinational corporations and um, the whole cyberpunk piece of global spanning corps and individuals who may be evil using gangs and using different groups and and uh, companies to be evil is much more um, is more fun to me than going after saying it's a religious based thing in my modern settings fantasy for whatever reason uh, if I go in there and say, hey, guess what? You know, Odin is actually kind of, uh, he's kind of a fucker in this world. And but it's because of this, this, and this. I, maybe I've just been very fortunate. I've not had any Odin worshipers at my table who've, you know, punched me for, or been, been offended. Um, but even when I <clears throat> have taken some of Hindu mythology um, of Kali or whatever it is, I did a little research that, oh, this is how it works. Okay. I'm going to add this component to it. And, um, essentially work to keep it as what I hope to be as non-offensive as possible. Because again, if you're starting with something that is moderately to very active in the world, <laughs> um, again, knowing my table helps. And also knowing that if I'm running something at a con and if I'm at a table, I want to be as inclusive as possible. I don't want to have something that is, you know, vile that is actually vile because I took, you know, this, wonderfully nice Christian sect and just decided that they're a horrible group of people that could be really offensive and hurt people's feelings and break friendships and destroy things. So you gotta be careful with it, I guess is a short version. Yeah. You have to yeah. also, I wonder though, didn't Mon, didn't mongrel talk about gods walking around as humans or, or as a, as a person or person? Yeah. That, <clears throat> That's another that's another component that we do. I mean, if you do 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 do, do let's see, American Gods by Neil Gaiman, uh, having some of the older gods are actual entities or things that you can interact with. White Wolf did Scion, which you're children of gods. You could be a child of Thor. You could be child of Set and various different other deities. Um, maybe you're interacting directly with deities in right. some of these games. Right. Um, I think in fantasy, it's a little bit easier to swallow and urban fantasy, uh, because it has fantasy in the title <clears throat> makes it a little bit simpler. But once you go to a, what I would consider straight up, right. Espionage game or in a, a police procedural game or something that you're not talking about. If you're fighting a horrible monster and then you don't want to tie that horrible monster to 
a specific religious group in the real world. If you're playing in a real world setting, you look rather need it to be a cult, something different, something that's a debased thing that's long forgotten or whatever it is. That's more acceptable. It's a strong phrase, but I think it's, it's more palatable and it makes more sense. And it's something in the game world. It, it's a bit cliche, but I think it's worth, I think it's worthy. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Totally no. lost you there. No, I totally went. Uh, went, off, went off the rails there, didn't I? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> a little more unusual. Anyway, so what do you think about this, Sean? I mean, gods in your games, do you... I mean, the other component is even in your fantasy games, do you have them actually... Do you have encounters of... Do you have the gods take a very active hand in your games? When you do have gods... Okay, so let's take the whole safety of the table. Let's push that to the side for a second. When you do have gods in a game that are either you made them up, you're using an existing mythology or pantheon or whatever. Do you have, do you have a tendency to have them be involved, involved or not? Spiritually, probably more than likely, maybe, maybe interactively, you know, if it's Dragonlance, kind of like, maybe there's, there's a hint of them walking amongst the, the men and women of the land uh, in a particular form, I mean, I think there is elements of that in a lot of religions where, you know, they, they're a, they're an element of, you know, they're, they're, they've come and descended upon. Yeah. Man I did that in my, in, women in my bad God. magic game, the guys met Satan. So oh, yeah? that was, they make yeah. a deal at the crossroads. <clears throat> Um, <laughs> a couple people, a cop, I think, well, one person did, everybody else was like, no, I'd rather die. It was kind of, it was pretty interesting because there were a lot of them were on their deathbed at the time. You didn't allow them to sell their soul and become rock stars. I tried, but most of them were like, no, fuck you, Brett. I won't do that. <laughs> ah, you got to entice <laughs> a man with some oh, I did. I, fame I gave, and money. And- I gave Alpha, Alpha was on his deathbed. I'm like, look, dude, I can save you. I can save your character. All you have to do is this one favor. That's all you have to do. He's like, no, fuck you. He shot Satan in the face. So ah, you got to do it more than like saving them. You got to, you got to no, make it, it like, Hey man, you're going to be the, the, you're going to be the president of the United States, man. No, that wasn't, that wasn't cookies. That wasn't his deal. Anyway. So you don't have, you don't tend to have a very strong handed, like if the paladin fucks up, does the God visit him in a dream and say, dude, you've been fucking up. I'm going to take your powers away. You dick. Do you do that? Or how interactive? I would, I like to, and it depends on the game, but I would like to, the problem is, is if you do that and the person's playing a cleric and their powers don't work, yeah, it could probably piss off a player. So you gotta, you gotta be open to that. But at the same time, it's kind of like, Hey man, if you're, you're worshiping Cuthbert and you're not doing the deeds and you're going against them. There's repercussions for that. Maybe, maybe it's not even uh, losing the powers as much as it is like falling out of favor with the church. I was just going to say that's dungeon crow classics all over, right? Yeah. Disfavor. Yeah. Get out of disfavor. Yep. And uh, then, you know, Hey, throwing the inquisition and inquisitors hunting you down because you're, you're going rogue and, I mean, there's all kinds of role-playing stuff that you can throw in there and, you know, good stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the uh, games like Dungeon Crawl Classics, that has a mechanic in it um, that Sean and I are fairly intimate with along the, you know, with disfavor and so forth. If you're a cleric and you're fucking up, these are bad things that can happen to you. Um, <clears throat> the other point, though, I think is 
if you we've talked about this about other things before is that you have to ease in right if the cleric has been screwing up for the last six levels you feel like that's it i've had enough um you know Cuthbert of the cudgel comes down and strips you of all your clerical powers the player rightfully so for the last six months of gaming goes what the fuck really seriously dude now now you're gonna take it all away well you've been screwing up for a while no warning no nothing you never warned anybody. You never said, hey, by the way, <clears throat> this is how this is going to go. I think it's a piece that if you don't have a mechanical component from a role-playing perspective, as you just said, if you want the gods to be heavy-handed or have a stronger, firmer hand in your world, either they're physically there, they could walk up to you or visit you in a dream or something and warn you. <clears throat> so that way, the cleric of Cuthbert of the Cudgel of Greyhawk has been misbehaving. He or she hasn't been doing uh, things right. You know, Angela's playing this cleric. Angela's being annoying. She's being kind of a jerk. She's not doing what Cuthbert would want. She's visited in her dreams a few times. She encounters a beggar on the street, a man with a cane, and pretty soon it becomes a guy with a club. And, you know, it just becomes more and more obvious. And then their powers are taken away for a while. Well, and then when the righteous anger comes up, you can say, look, Angela, I warned you. <laughs> oh, that's right. You did. Right, so you don't have the same shock and uh, awe factor of suddenly you're you're not a paladin anymore, even though you're tenth level and you've been acting this way for ten levels. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. I think that's I think that's an important piece, but yeah. I I love the idea of having them and making them uh, role playing components. I think that's a it was a piece in my youth of growing into the hobby. That was overlooked except as a punitive measure by the dungeon master who got sick of the paladin abusing his or her power and sick of the cleric being a dick. <laughs> and then they go, sorry, your God doesn't like that. Whack. It was just a punitive weird thing that a dungeon master would do. I think there's better ways to handle it now, even if you don't have mechanics, to turn, in, turn it into a role-playing experience. I, can, I concur. Cool. All right, man, we're going long, so should we move this on? We shall. Yeah, folks, if you've got better ideas of gods and whatnot, let us know. I roll two to four miscellaneous points, gaming and Greek. We're going to get one on share with you. I've got nothing. I got a couple. And we got a couple from listeners. And we got a couple from listeners. Uh, I'm going to say I'm behind because I was on vacation. I was up in Upper Michigan deer hunting, so I was uh, a slack ass because I was on vacation. I'll pick it up next time, Sean. I promise. Okay. Uh, Matthew Mercer's, uh, he's from critical role GM tips on customizing creatures. It's a video on geek and sundry. If you aren't familiar with Matt, uh, he did some good GMing. So check that out. Uh, my second one, Marvel RPG hack meets edge of the empire rule set. Um, that's on Oricon's lair, which I think we uh-huh. featured in a prior show. The, uh, person who writes on that blog does put out some good stuff. So if you're looking to maybe look at Marvel, but use the edge of the empire rules, uh, check that out. Very cool. And ed- edge of the empire rules are pretty freaking fun. So I could see that being a lot of, man, especially with the, like the, the advantage, disadvantage, the despair, the whole, all that stuff that could be, that just feels, that feels superhero to me, man. All right, from listeners, we've got two, and they're both around maps. Hawksparrow hit us with one about how to create isometric dungeon maps. Got a link out there in the show notes to that. And Azrael Arocha hit us up with some free maps on Drive Through RPG. There's a product out there 
um, free and uh, it's about it's got maps. So hey, um, as a guy who likes to keep my iPad full of maps because you never know when I'm gonna have to run a dungeon, I need a map of something. This is uh, this is good stuff. And at GameholeCon, Sean and I were gifted uh, each a roll of isometric map paper. So Hawk Sparrow's uh, link is timely as always. Yes, the isometric gaming paper by gaming paper. Yes. All right. Uh, one, that was it for die roll. Thanks for writing in uh, those Absolutely. guys and, and keep them coming. Uh, Want to also thank those reviews on iTunes from DM Dad, James Sweetland, Sweetland Lavalley, who's got to be Dan Lavalley. Thanks, Dan. He's one of our patrons. Thanks for writing up the reviews, all three of you. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us this week. Next week, Brett, do you know what we're talking about yet or no? You know, I'm not sure. I was thinking of, I might hit up the, uh, we might start with the law versus chaos thing that John hit us up with because that one's got me interested. But I'm just, I'm not sure yet. I got a couple other ideas banging around my head. I'm not sure yet. It'll be it'll be a mystery. You'll have to tune in next week just to find out. Ooh. All right. Well, for those... Uh, that have tuned in and continue to listen to us. Thank you so much. Otherwise, this has been another episode of Gaming and Bass. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. Episodes of Gaming and BS come to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Jeff Rademacher, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Misdirected Mark Productions, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Old School DM, The Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Billado, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Merkel Froelich, Wayne Lumrunner Humphrey, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Eileen Barnes, Chad Knight, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Abruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Tony the Butcher, Baker, and Craig Huber. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Visit GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you.